Anyway, let's pray before we get into the book of Ruth this morning. (laughs) Father, we just thank you um, for this time together. We thank you for the record of stories such as Ruth and how as we dwell in them, we see a God who is active, a God who really cares. And Father, as we just take this time to reflect further in the story as it concludes this morning, we're just going to greater sense of what it means to be connected with you and part of your ongoing story and mission to this world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I really enjoyed um, Laura's message and it did affect me. I thought, oh, how do I follow, follow that? Um, and when we carved up the book of Ruth a few months ago and she picked up chapter 3, I was quite relieved really because I didn't know what I'd do with the threshing floor. Um, and so she picked it up and dealt with it all delightfully. And so um, I really get the opportunity to land the plane really in chapter 4 um, to bring it to a closure. So the first part this morning, I'd just like us to work through chapter 4 and just sort of get our sense of the story, how it all wraps up and what's going on, and then see what we can translate out of that into our world and living in the 21st century. So chapter 4 really sits um, in line with a couple of verses in chapter 3, which I will read to you, which really set the scene, where Boaz is saying to Ruth on that dark night, he's saying, Although it is true I am a family guardian, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your family guardian, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. So that's the scene which we bounce out of into chapter 4. And here we have Boaz at the city gate. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to town, to the town gate, and sat down there just as the family guardian he had mentioned came along. Boaz says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. And so he went over and sat down. The literal translation of friend is really so-and-so. Come over here, you so-and-so, and sit down. That is really the tone. This character in the story is not esteemed highly, nor in his culture. Verse 2, Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Context here in those days, on the fringe of town, there was these sort of gathering places where all sort of the wise people sat. If you had a dispute or something to work out with another person or a deal to sign off when you wanted witnesses or you wanted a court-type setting, here it was. You just turned up, gathered the crowd around you, and you resolved your matter. And so that's how the culture worked in those days. So when he says here in verse 10, verse 2, sit here, and they did so, that's the context. Then he said to the family guardian, the so-and-so, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. It's even interesting, he says, I thought I should bring it to your attention. This so-and-so, he knew all about it. He knew how the world worked. Cultural commentators suspect that he had mostly looked after that land for the last 10 years. 
while Elimelech's family had gone to Moab. And so he, in a sense, had just been exploiting the opportunity and just avoiding the day when he should really step up and exercise his responsibility. So there's sort of a bit of um, mocking going on here. And so Boaz, in the front of others, he says there in verse 4, If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he says. Then Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead and his property. At this, the family guardian, or the so-and-so, says, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Here's a really interesting situation. This man here, if he did redeem it, the so-and-so, he knew the risks If he could just take the land without Ruth, he was adding land to his estate, a good piece of land which he knew well, so increased his net worth. And so when he died and passed on, he had more property to pass on to his family. But if he married, took Ruth on, and they had a family, what would happen is this. In the year of Jubilee, when that came up every seven years, that land would go to their child from Ruth. He would lose the land which he'd paid out to buy, but also the child which they had given birth to, any children, would also be an inheritance of his existing family estate. So, say if he's had six or seven children now, and he has four or five by Ruth, he's got to now divide his estate at the end of his life amongst 12. This is not good business sense. And so in the context of the story of Ruth, this character really comes out and stands in contrast to all this hesed love which has permeated the story. This hesed love which is with someone who has the power to set one free, exercise this, this love because that person is powerless. This so-and-so was not at all concerned about releasing or empowering somebody who was powerless. He was concerned about his own status, his own power, his own material well-being. So he sits in contrast to all the other characters in the story. So verse 7 Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of of legalizing transactions in Israel. What it doesn't say here, if in this context the person refuses to um, fulfill their responsibility as the family guardian, the widow can take her sandal off, hit him and spit him in the face. (laughs) That's not told here in the story, but that's how the culture worked. So the family guardian said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kitlon, and Mahalon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahalon's widow, as my wife. This is an important phrase, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Interesting here. He is, his motivation here is not about this, we don't know whether she's beautiful or anything, we don't know anything about Ruth in this way, but his motivation is beyond Ruth. He's thinking about to Elimelech, who he is a, re, a relative of. His family line is about to die out. Through him exercising this guardianship, he can rescue. And so we see a picture here of Boaz as a rescuer, a redeemer, 
a redeemer who is restoring what was lost to that family line. This is his motivation for exercising his guardianship. So that his name will not disappear from among us, among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah, whatever, and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring of the Lord, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. The tone of the story changes here. You can almost feel as though you're at a wedding ceremony where you get the sense of this young couple or older couple, we don't know their ages, coming together and people can just see there's so much potential here for the kingdom. Because these two have come together as a rescuing couple, as a couple to rescue the family of Elimelech. This family has the potential to be wiped out. And the way in which they come together, firstly, Boaz, he was impressed when he met Ruth. He knew her story back in chapter 2. He says, I've heard of the love which you've shown to Naomi. This love which she expressed to Naomi to protect and to care for her for her days. Then we see in Boaz that same love in the, in the fields and the gleaning. He just doesn't fulfill his obligations and just let her glean behind the gleaners. He brings her right up into the harvesters. And in the evening, he brings her to his table. He had no need to do this. She was an outcast. She was an outsider. She was not an Israelite. So the story here of this outward-focused Hesiod love of releasing and empowering people through the resources that only you have and they don't have is captured in this wedding ceremony. And so these people here, they're saying that, you know, that your home will be like Rachel and Leah. Well, these are the two wives of Jacob. From the house of Israel, they gave birth to the 12 sons, became the, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. So here the people have seen a great potential for the kingdom, for God's work to carry on. And we must realize at this time, what's the context? The nation in Israel are in rebellion against God. The nation of Israel was doing what was right in their own eyes. The nation of Israel, nobody knew the Lord or his story, it says in the book of Judges. That's the context. So we're seeing through these two people's faithfulness, these two people's love, not only for Naomi and Elimelech's family, but from the love of God that shapes them, that this is part of a rescuing mission for their people. They're seeing hope in these two people's lives. And then we get to the end of the sentence, what is it, end of verse 12, it's interesting, he talks about Tamar who bore Judah. Now Tamar was also an outcast of Israel. One of Judah's sons married a foreigner, just like Ruth, a Moabite. And Tamar is really an example of someone, just like Ruth, she exercised initiative, she broke cultural rules so she could redeem her situation. Judah failed to give her one of his sons so she could keep on the family name. And she broke all the rules, all right, but she did it in a way which actually challenged him in his own righteousness. She dressed herself as a prostitute to deceive him so he would father a child for her to protect her and keep the family name going. And on reflection of that, he says, she is far more righteous than I because she did what I should have done for her. And so here in the story, we have a role model, someone comes into the story who's been really radical, broken cultural rules. Why? 
for the sake of the kingdom, for the work of God. There are things in here for us to reflect on in these characters in the story of how they stepped out to make a difference, not for their own world, but ultimately for God's redeeming work in the culture. So verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a family guardian. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in old age for your, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better you, to you than seven sons has given birth. This is a really powerful statement in a society that was all about men. Men had the power. Men empowered women. They were the ones that could set women free, protect them. But here we have a wonderful picture here that the, for your daughter who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. That's breaking cultural norms. The story of God's love breaking in here is actually breaking down all the hierarchies which people had set up. And so new life is coming into this people through the love of these people. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Lovely picture. The woman there, living there, said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. We don't get any picture of Ruth holding the baby. It was always about Naomi and Elimelech's household of rescuing them and giving them what they could not do for themselves. So it was a marriage that was focused on other people, focused on the greater work, the greater need in their culture. And then it finishes off, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. They didn't know what, Jess, what Obed and Jesse and David, what those names would mean going ahead, had no sense of that at all. But through their faithfulness, through them having a focus on not their well-being, but the well-being in others, and ultimately being an expression of God's redeeming love in their world, in their context, blessing followed on for hundreds and thousands of years, and we sit there today in that same line. And you know what? This story began in Bethlehem. They left Bethlehem to go to Moab. The story finishes in Bethlehem, with a baby whose father, or whose lineage comes from David, and the baby is born in Bethlehem once again, years later, who then takes the story onto another level. And so it all starts to flow together. But they, could, they didn't see the big picture, they were being faithful in their context. And so, in the context of all of that, we see that this story has a delightful ending. And you could read the book of Ruth and just think, wow, what a great story of romance and of love. And the woman gets her man, gets the kid, and the baby. It's beautiful. And you think, well, what can we learn from that? And you think there must be some principles we could take out of the story. You know, the tough get going. When it gets tough, the tough get going. You know, all those sorts of cliche type expressions. But if we sort of take the story just in a box by itself, we have a story much the same as Cinderella. 
And we could really pretty much draw the same conclusions from the story of Cinderella as the story of Ruth. And so what? We don't need the story of Ruth, we just need Cinderella to get some good life principles out of. And I think so often as Christians, community, we come to the scripture in that kind of way. And that we're sort of looking for some principles, some solutions for life that's going to just sort of help me live better and crack the code so I can be successful and get on with what I'm trying to achieve. But in this story here, we see there's something far deeper going on. And once we grasp that, we don't end up with a whole list of principles. I did a search on the Quran Bookshop uh, website the other day, and I just put in principles, and it came up from all these Christian titles from eminent Christian authors, authors all about principles. And some of the titles were these, Relationship Principles, Treasure Principles, Life Principles, Mary and Martha Principles, Fatherhood Principles, 30 Life Principles. Most likely, out of those five or six books, there's most likely, say, 50 or 60 principles. Well, how do you remember all these different principles for all these different, con- all these different contexts? And every time you hear a message and there's another principle, you've got to add it onto the list. It all becomes a thing of works, of trying to get the formula right so my life can, I can be a good father, I can be good with finances, and so on. We're trying to crack the code in all these little boxes. And when we reduce the story of Ruth to that, we miss out on the greater story, which is shaped by the story of God. And on the screen, you can see the statement. It says, in these contexts, we reduce the Bible to being a self-help book. We fail to use the Bible as a means for discovering God's overarching purpose for the world. His mission to connect and restore what was lost in the garden. See, the book of Ruth, we've got to push it back up into the wider purpose. The book of Ruth fits in a continuum from the garden from the fall, God's mission to the world through Israel, through Israel being called to be a light to the nations. And in the context of Ruth, this nation of Israel were in rebellion against God. There was famine in the land. There was judgment in the land. When we start to put it into that context and the work of God, we see God active in the story of Ruth. One thing I like about our, our church statement of faith that came out last year where it says that the Bible reveals the true story of God's interaction with humanity and creation, past, present, and future. So we think of that in that context of the whole wider story. So what do we do with the ending of the story? The babe. We so easily as humans attract or drawn to this sort of warm, cuddly toy. In other words, it had all come together. Because in our cultural story, we objectify things which we are working to or seeking to achieve in life. And these things aren't necessarily wrong, but when they shape our whole behavior, they then become an objective that when we've got it, we think we've got success, we think we've got security. The movie The Bucket List that came out a number of years ago. Since that movie, this metaphor is used a lot in culture, particularly around the the baby boomer generation and that can see life coming to an end, and I haven't done these things. And for me to really experience life and to be fully human, I need to go to Bathurst. (laughs) Well, what else would you want to do? There's the metaphor of going up the mountain, you know, Moses, Mount Sinai. 
coming down the mountain, Conrod Strait. It all fits in. It's legitimate. So I feel quite at peace about that, having that in my bucket list. But in reality, we laugh, don't we? But our culture, people outside of this Christian community, in Western culture, there's these things I want to do, these places I want to go. Because the story that frames the bucket list is, there is nothing once I've gone. Because the story of the bucket list is, it's a black hole. The Christian story prepares us for life and for death. I'm sure there'll be a Mount Panorama in the renewed creation. There will be. There's got to be. There'll be jazz bands. They'll still be able to see Pink Floyd, The Wall. But the story will be renewed. So we're not going to miss out, people. Because when we make those things the objective of our life, everything starts to be shaped around it. And in the book of Ruth, the beautiful thing about the book of Ruth, you see a clash of stories, which really earths it to our own context. The story starts off dark. The family, Emelech's family, are leaving town, leaving Bethlehem, which literally means place of blessing, place of provision, and they're going to Moab because the God whom they used to live for has brought a famine to the land. They're taking life into their own hands. What the story needed was people to stay there and to speak to their nation to get them back to faithfulness with God so he could then bless them and renew them and restore their land, take away the famine, and so they could be the people of God. They got disconnected. And so they went to Moab, a country, a nation whom they despised for their own survival. But their survival was not found in Moab, it was found in God. The only way in which this family survived is through the work of God, through Ruth capturing the story of the nation of Israel from Naomi, and she says, I'm going to come back with you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. She had caught a glimpse of a greater reality. And so in the context of the story, we've got Naomi who goes back and she tells the people, don't call me Naomi or sweet anymore, but call me Mara, call me bitter because God has been bitter to me. He's been dealt unjustly with me. We can all relate to that, can't we? Where stuff has happened in our lives, we've been faithful Christian people, or whatever stuff happens and we're bitter. But what's interesting here, in the context when she talks about her bitterness, she says, the Lord has brought the bitterness upon me. Prior to that, she says to um, Naomi and Oprah, to Ruth and Oprah, we're go- I'm going back to Israel because the Lord has stopped the famine. The Lord is now providing. So in the context of this, I like to think of the picture of the book of Ruth a bit like the story of the, of the outback farmer in um, Australia who had some visitors come to visit him and they could see all the cattle sort of scattered around the hills for miles and they could see no fences. And they said to the outback farmer, they said, how do you manage your cattle? I don't see any fences. And he says, that's correct. He says, I build wells, not fences. And if you think of the story of Ruth and Naomi here, there was a well that was drawing them back. They had turned their back, or Naomi and the family, on the well for a period of time. But they finally did turn and she decided to go back to the well. And I think all of us, 
need to decide in our lives, what is the well, what am I drawing upon to shape the way in which I live? What am I drawing on that's going to help me live amongst a broken world? And in the story of Ruth, we've got to be careful that we don't objectify this story that is all about the baby. And I think often we do that in the Christian life, where we actually make it about a thing and we make eternal life the actual thing. I've got eternal life. I'm in. That's all that matters. I've got security. I've got my insurance policy. But when we hear Jesus talk about eternal life, he gives it a much more different definition in John chapter 17. Where he says in verse 3, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So when we come to the book of Ruth, when we come to any part of the Bible, what do we see here of God in his work of redeeming, of restoring what was lost at creation? Because that's the mission of God. He's in the process of bringing it back of what was lost. And you think of what Christ says here about knowing God as eternal life, and you think of Paul and the way he lived, we see what eternal life is, how it's translated into his own life. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he says, I want to know Christ. I yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. This is eternal life. Knowing God and Jesus is eternal life. Knowing his sufferings, knowing the power to overcome those sufferings, those can't be, we can't get that power by having a whole lot of principles we're trying to apply. We have to have a sense of a greater mission, a greater vision of what God is on about. And so in the story of Ruth, when I think and I reflect on this story of what it's really all about, I think it comes back, back to a disposition of how we view life. We see in the story of Ruth, people taking risks. People stepping out of the cultural norms to bring Hesiod love, this love to others which others cannot bring to themselves. And so we see Boaz not just doing what he's obligated to do as an owner of land to the widows in town, she's actually upgrades and gives her more. We see Boaz with so-and-so at the city gate, not just fulfilling his obligation, but actually seeking to restore and to bring back love and bring back a family name. And we see out of those attitudes, the work and the love of Ruth and Boaz for the people around them, we see it translated into a life that finally comes to redeem the whole world, the life of Christ. They are linked in the story. When we see the cross this morning and take communion shortly, we see Ruth and Boaz, their lineage, their participation in God's redeeming work of the kingdom 
been fulfilled in the perfect and the total redeemer of the all of creation. But we see a glimpse back in the book of Ruth. And so, as we wrap this all up today, we need to be thinking about what am I participating in in my life in the work of God in bringing his kingdom of hesed love to this world? What are the things that are shaping me of his kingdom mission? Not of the bucketless culture of the Western world, but of his kingdom mission to restore what things am I doing in that regard? And as we see this quote upon the screen, which I think really helps um, by Hebert, who says, the way we understand human life depends on what concept we have of the human story. What is the real story of which my life is a part? And so as we do go to the side and take our communion shortly, and we leave that quote on the screen, think on your own life. What story is my life really a part of? What would someone say at, their fu- at my funeral about me? Or think, what would I want people to say at my funeral about me? Because really, those sorts of contexts, we get a sense of what the story of that person's life was all about. And the wonderful thing about the mission of God and the restoring mission through Jesus is that this story not only prepares us to live life well and to its fullness, but it also prepares us for death. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for bringing the mission of our loving God right into our world, for taking the risks, just like Ruth and Boaz who came before you, taking risks in culture, stepping out of cultural norms, and been willing to follow these paths for the good of humanity. Jesus, we see on the cross this morning, we see your love. We see you doing for us, doing for this world what the world could not do for itself. Father, I just pray that we will just reflect on how we are participating with you in continuing that work to the world around us. Holy Spirit, I pray, just gently encourage us, warm us, draw us more deeply into the one story that truly gives this world hope now and after death. In Jesus' name, amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.